Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Our next guest, Dr. Vernon Mitchell, is the curator of popular American arts and culture in the Department of Special Collections housed at Washington University. He is delivering the keynote address at his university's King Observances on Monday. It is titled, What Have We Done Since Martin Luther King's Death? Dr. Mitchell, thank you so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. I I want to uh, just ask you to explain how you know our previous guest, uh, Dr. Holloway. Uh, uh, No, Robowski. Well, uh, Dr. Robowski, I met him uh, as a young graduate student uh, when I was at Cornell University, and I got a chance to meet him, and he talked to me and several other graduate students uh, about why we needed to be there, right? He he was addressing the, the notion that we uh, should not feel like we're imposters, like this imposter syndrome, like we don't belong, mm-hmm. but we belong in these spaces. Um, and th- th- what he what really resonated with me was find ways to revive your whole self because uh-huh. this is a marathon, uh, b- being a doctoral student. And that's what I did. Um, and I, I, that always stayed with me, and I appreciated him for taking the time to really sit down and talk with all of us um, at that time, so that was what I think 2008, maybe. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm a big fan and, and big proponent of everything that that he's doing. Uh, he's he's a wonderful human being. You, you know, it really affirms the importance of education and educators who can inspire, as he obviously did. That's what he did, uh, and he still continues to do that. Yeah, yeah, he's quite a guy. Uh, I'm, I'm recommending to you and to others to watch his TED talk on YouTube. Uh, it's really quite uh, quite remarkable. On to Monday now. Right. I'll ask you the same question I asked him with the message that uh, you, you want to deliver and you think needs to be delivered on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, the message I think we need to, that needs to be delivered, uh, is, is reclaiming King in the post-1963 moment, right? We, we uh, have the tendency to freeze him in time in 1963 of August, right, uh, in those steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and we don't see Dr. King in 1967. Mm-hmm. We don't see him in 1968. Uh, and that part of King is, is important to me because he's evolved, right, in, in ways that are, uh, for instance, he's not just talking about uh, desegregation. Uh, it, it, like he says in one um, interview or several interviews, he uses the, the comment or the, the, the metaphor, what does it mean to have a desegregated lunch counter if I can't afford to buy a hamburger at the lunch counter. So he's asking these larger systemic socioeconomic questions uh, and the inequalities that exist. And those are the things we need to be addressing because they affect everyone. Yeah. You know, you say that uh, a lot of people don't see him in 67 or 68. A lot of people would like to see him in 2018. Right. I also asked uh, the previous guest the same question. What would he be thinking today? I think he'd be shaking his head uh, in many respects and, and probably disgust and disbelief. But at the same time, uh, in, at that period, King is really also hopeful as much as he is creating an accountability. And one of the things that I'll be talking about, which he also talks about in one of his last addresses, uh, was this notion that what, I, what he calls this a uh, love ethic, right? Power has to be... Uh, linked to love and uh, the love that he was talking about was not just to some ephemeral emotion but he's really talking about can we see our shared humanity 
in the same space. We can disagree about governance. Mm-hmm. We can disagree about uh, politics per se, but your ability to exist in the world with dignity and creativity uh, to be your best self, that should be done with, without any encumbrances, right? You should mm-hmm. be able to do that. And, and uh, I think now when we look at places like Ferguson, right, in 2014, that those situations arise because there's no love with the power that's being uh, that's in, in these places. Uh, and I think that's what I want to have uh, my audience leave with is that King was very much understanding of the role that power played in American society, but also the, the power that love had as well. Uh, Dr. King is certainly relevant today, but I'm wondering, you deal with young people every day on a college campus. Mm-hmm. Do you find that young people are still plugged into his message and his whole philosophy? In some ways, yes, I, I think they are. Uh, in some ways, maybe not, uh, because you have to think about it this way. They are growing up uh, and their grandparents probably did not. They're not part of the civil rights generation. That would be their great grandparents yeah. who may or may not have been alive at any point in their lives. So there's not that personal resonance there. I grew up with that, mm-hmm. right, uh, on both sides of, of, of my uh, my family, my, my maternal and paternal grandparents both grew up knowing about Selma, grew up knowing about, you know, the, the great migration. So that was kind of ingrained in me at a very early age. But what I try to do when I teach about Dr. King is trying to humanize him, right? Mm-hmm. I try to take him away off of the pedestal, uh, not at any type of uh, not in a way that 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 uh is sensational right i I don't try to sensationalize king but i try to understand him as a man uh, as a human being and i think on that level students begin to resonate with him uh especially when i tell them you know he was a icon during his life it wasn't like he became famous in death he was famous as he lived and so I think because the students can kind of think about things like branding, they can understand how he was able to use media to get his uh, points across. Is there anybody out there right now who could be called a replacement for Dr. King, someone that the kids of today could look up to and follow? Is there a a role model that uh, you can point to? I I tend to stay away from that, Don. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't begin, we have to understand that King first was a symbol, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they have to find their inner King, right? Uh, the, the part of themselves, the people who have inspired them, right? The, the Freeman Robowskis, if you will, uh, that challenged them to be their best selves. And so I, I don't, we can't look for the next Dr. King or the next uh Whoever the, we have to get past the notion of uh, messianic leadership mm-hmm. that we're going to have this one great person, the great man, the great woman myth. We need to not invest in that and invest in the power in ourselves. Mm-hmm. You uh, do a lot of teaching with regard to social movements. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see today? Black Lives Matter has become the social movement in the eyes of many. Do you see it that way? And how effective do you see it? I, I think it's it's incredible. Uh, it's brilliant. It's brave. It's been courageous. Uh, the fact that social media, uh, for instance, 
has been used as a way to communicate and organize is, you know, in many ways reminiscent of the Montgomery bus boycott when you have people like Joanne Robinson who are printing off on a mimeograph machine. And mm-hmm. when I mentioned this to my students, they're like, what is a mimeograph right. machine? So uh, <clears throat> she didn't have, she had the, Twitter was her arm, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, rolling those copies out uh, to organize. And uh, today I think it's more dynamic because social media has allowed a flattening of the landscape, if you will. Yeah, you have to think and, and wonder what it would have been like 50 years ago if, if Twitter had been out there and, and, and Facebook. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It, it, it's it's amazing to consider that. And so in my class, I go back and forth, right? Yeah. I, I, we talk about social media in terms of uh, the killing of Michael Brown, um, but also what did the media, you know, with the death of Emmett Till, for instance, what how did that move people to action? Mm-hmm. Um and, and to really give some context to what the power of media. You know, I'm interested in your thoughts about the overall media, the more traditional media, the, the, the old media, if you will, um, and getting your reaction to it and the way that it covers today's social movement as opposed to the way it covered it 50 years ago. You know, it, it's certainly the social media, the digital technology has changed it, but television, radio mm-hmm. are covering things today pretty much the way they did then, aren't they? I think for the most part, yes, but we can't underscore the way that uh, social media has pushed traditional forms of media, uh, newspapers, radio, to stay on their toes, right? So now we're in places where Twitter is now uh, moving the conversation before traditional news outlets were able to do that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of television, I guess, because, you know, you, you look at the pictures and the photographs of, of Bull Connor and the dogs and the march and Selma, the, the Pettus Bridge and that sort of thing. Television is covering it the same way. They go where there's tear gas and where there may be fire, where there's, there are cops and dogs. It's drawn like a magnet. Right. Um, it, but I think at the same time, uh, social media is still, I think, pushing these traditional outlets. And if we look at television to those uh, places before we know about the tear gas, it's already on mm-hmm. uh, social media. If we th- look at Ferguson, it was Twitter and Vine where you start to see videos of uh, citizens being tear gassed before you know national new media outlets were there. Yeah, no, that that's very true. It's it's uh, certainly is fast. You know, we're talking about young people a moment ago, and I have to ask you this because I've been hearing about it a lot in the last 24 hours, and that is the comments made most recently by the president with regard to uh, African nations, Haiti, mm-hmm. El, El Salvador. Uh, that message and that word, which I'm not going to use, but everybody by now knows what I'm talking about, um, is going into households across the country, and kids are, are hearing that. What do you make of that? It's disturbing. Right. I mean, in one level, we can and we talked off air about uh, music. All right. Art mm. uh, pushing the envelope uh, in terms of the way we engage language. But when you have uh, the highest office in the land. Right. Speaking in this way, mm-hmm. in an in a, uh, official capacity. It really distorts and undermines the very notion of civility. Mm-hmm. And for children or young people that are growing up seeing this, where where are we civil now? 
right? You know, if, the, if this type of language, this type of continued behavior becomes normalized, what does that say for the continuation of our democracy? Yeah. And what does it overall say about what's going on right here in the St. Louis area? You, you know the area. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Racial polarization, huge issue here, has been for a long, long time. Yes, it has been. I think what it says it's time for us to really be committed to getting to work, which goes back to my comments uh, on Monday. We can't have power that is absent of love, right? Uh, We can't be in situations where those who control the purse strings don't see our common humanity. And when we fail to do that, we fail to be human. And I... We're at a critical juncture right now, right? These are complicated times. Mm -hmm. And if we believe in any uh, way that we are all human beings, we need to start treating each other in that way. Mm. Uh, Again, we only have about a minute left, but it occurs to me and perhaps to you too that uh, there is a wide audience accepting this today in this country. Yes, the, the racial animus in America is not just limited to Saint, the St. Saint Louis region. Uh, it is across the country, and I think people will gravitate to those mythologies of, of white supremacy, as we're talking about, uh, and, and other uh, phobias, right, uh, homophobia, um, because they are seductive. It's good not to think. For you and I to have a conversation and respect each other as human beings, there has to be a baseline there that we can interact on. It's easier to just reinforce your fears and not engage someone that you don't typically know. You would, mm-hmm. you would never like come into contact with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need an America that is willing to interact, you know, not just going across the aisle for Democrat or Republican, but to see, again, our shared humanity. And to think about it beyond just Monday or, or one Monday That's it. a year. Exactly. That doesn't exactly. work. Exactly. That doesn't work. Dr. Vernon Mitchell, thank you so much for thank you being for with me. us. It's great talking to you. And sorry about the loss of your father. And uh, he's been on the program before, too, I believe, in the distant past. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Don Marsh.